0: uh if you're just now joining us uh online uh, we appreciate you uh tuning in this morning and thank you for being a part of our our service continuing service here we've already been praising the lord and uh shared communion and just having a a great time this morning look forward to the time that you feel comfortable and and, uh, things change enough that you can uh, comfortably come back and be with us so Let's jump into our text this morning. We're talking about the armor of God in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. And I don't know about you, but if I was just to read that to you straight, as we have several times already, uh, at least for me personally, a lot of times as I did that, um, I think I got a buzz up here in the monitors, Kevin, just a little bit. Do I? Or is it just my ears? I have a buzz in my head sometimes. I was up in the woods with Lori uh, last, this last week. It was muzzleloader season. This is a complete rabbit that has nothing to do with anything. It's just because I like to talk about me, okay? Uh, so uh, anyway, we, we were up there, and Tirza did get her buck this, this week. She got a, a fork horn, so that was pretty cool. Uh, first one in the family to kill anything with a muzzleloader uh, you gotta love a muzzle loader, you know, uh, by the time the smoke clears, you're looking for your animal. No, it's, it's even still around. Uh, but we had a great time and sitting quiet in the woods with Lori. And I said, I love the quiet in the woods. You can hear the ringing in your ears so clearly, you know, yeah. any of the rest of you have that? Thank you. All right. So I'm not the only one. And, uh, that's the way I feel sometimes when I'm trying to direct Kevin, it's like, well, there's a ringing, but I'm not sure where it is, you know, so it is what it is. You can read that. You can read those uh, uh, statements that Paul makes about armoring up and putting on the armor of God. And you look at it and you can just go, I'm not even sure what he means. And you can read them sometimes and you can go, okay. I understand it now because I've read it in the commentary or whatever. And then it seems like three weeks later, you read it again. You wonder what in the world it was that Paul was talking about. Do you ever do that? So when he says the breastplate of righteousness, that's one of those that kind of eludes me sometimes. And maybe you can say, oh, yeah, I'm all armored up with that. You know, the belt of truth, that's pretty easy, right? I mean, we can kind of jump into that, understanding the Word of God and how that works and Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, That one's pretty easy, but the breastplate of righteousness, that one's a little harder to jump into. So I'm going to lay it out for you this morning, draw you a diagram, and I hope that when we're done that I've gotten it right, at least least biblically I'm correct. I don't know if I'm tying all the pieces to this exactly right, but I believe I am. And then uh, you'll be able to see this little diagram in your brain from now on when you read this, and hopefully you'll go, oh yeah, I remember what putting on... This breastplate of righteousness is about so that's my goal this morning all right let's start in Isaiah 64 verse 5 it says how then can we be saved all of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our righteousness our righteous acts are like filthy rags we all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind our sins sweep us away no one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. Filthy, filthy rags, our, our righteousness is like filthy rags. We, we use that little phrase quite a bit, don't we? Talking about works and how they'll get us into heaven, and we just say, you know, all of our righteousness, all of our righteous acts, they're just as filthy rags. Yeah, I think it was Adam Clark in his commentary said that if we really understood what that passage was talking about, when it said filthy rags, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't use it near as often as in the way that we do. And if you look at it in all of the commentaries, you can get a pretty clear picture of uh, what he's talking about here when he says filthy rags. When I think of a filthy rag, I think of uh, one that I wipe my hands on after I've been fishing or something like that. But he says, and the commentaries say that this is a reference to a cloth that a woman would use during her menstrual cycle. Now, if we verbalized it that way, we really wouldn't be saying like filthy rags. I mean, I get that. But he's painting a pretty graphic picture here, isn't he? Of what our righteousness really stacks up to look like. All our righteous acts are as filthy rags. The intent of the prophet here is not that we can't do things that at least on an outward appearance look to be righteous acts. But they're all corrupted at some point because of heart and motive. A prophet looking at America today might well say the same thing, wouldn't you think? Sometimes I look at America today and I think, boy, Lord, how could you ever get to a place like the people in Noah's day where you look down and you'd say, boy, I'm sorry I made man. And he, grieved. he was grieved that he'd made man because every thought of man's heart was continually evil, continually wicked. And you look at that and go, wow. And then you look at our country and go, wow. Oh, we're getting close. We're getting close. In Romans, the third chapter, the ninth verse, it says, What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and the Gentiles alike, both the same, are all under sin. He says, As it is written... There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one that understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are are open graves. Their tongue practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Okay. Not one. There's not one righteous. This is who we are. He said, as it was written. Where was it written? Well, one of the places it was written is Psalms 14.1. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven and all on all mankind, all mankind, to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. all have turned away. All have been corrupted. There is no one who does good, not even one. The impact of the fallen world and the impact of uh, Our fallen nature, oh my goodness, I don't even think we know the depth of depravity that really is ours. And there it is. You don't have to look very far to know that mankind has a problem called sin and rebellion. If you read Barnabas Aid this week and you read those stories, uh, Lori was reading them to me. Uh, around the dinner table this week. <clears throat> it is appalling the kind of persecution that's going on in the world. Just look at what's going on in Afghanistan. Heck, if you, you just look in the mirror. I mean, at some point, we're all going to see the total depravity of mankind in our own faces. So, sorry, Luke Bryant, I'm not agreeing with your song. You believe most people are good, and you sing a pretty good song. But according to the Bible, you're wrong. And uh, I don't want to be too hard on you. There's a whole lot of people who are deceived right along with you, but that's exactly where we're at today. The truth is, people are fallen. Adam did that to us. We live in a fallen world. And we're in need of a Savior and restoration, which is possible only in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 6.13, he says this, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now, I like this because I've just been talking to you about fallen mankind and in a fallen world, right? Right? And here Paul is talking about standing in this fallen world. I think that's significant. I like the picture here. This verse can certainly not be talking about something we possess on our own though, can it? Based upon everything I've shared to you about how wonderful and good you all are, and I am, This is obviously not something that is is going to come from us. I think we have pretty well established that fact uh, from the scriptures we read on righteousness that our righteousness is a zero. So how do you get from zero to a breastplate of righteousness that will shield us from the enemy's fiery darts? Satan's assault. Well, unlike the... 3.5 trillion spending bill that is going to be free and cost zero. uh, This breastplate has a cost that is not hidden. Let me tell you one more time about my Jesus. There was a cost that was paid because without him, you and I have absolutely no blessing, spiritual blessing especially, no blessing that we have coming our way or could expect to come our way from God outside of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about the gospel for a minute and let's start with Jesus. Why is he a key player? Well, because he was the son of God. He lived a perfect life. And he lived a life that was a revelation to us of God. And a revelation to us of life that he wanted us to have. Jesus' life was one lived here on earth in perfection. As the Son of God, which He was, He lived in perfection. And He lived in perfect obedience to the Heavenly Father, showing us who God the Father was. And through Jesus, we understand, maybe if we'd missed it before, we understand, as we never have before, how much God loves us. And we see that He wants us to have the best life we can have here on earth, and life forever with Him in heaven. Eternally with him. He wants to do life with us. And that would be my definition of abundant life. Life is about who you get to do it with. I almost want to make you repeat that after me. Life is about who you get to do it with. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. If I'm doing it with the right people, it's fun. If I'm just sitting in the woods and listening to the ringing in my ears, if I'm with her, it's fun. It, it, it is about who you get to do life with. And you get to do life with Jesus. You get to do life with God. And when you get to do life with Him, that's abundant life. And not only here, but it goes for all eternity. And that's the offer that He gives to us. That's not the only revelation we get when we look at the life of Christ. We get a revelation of how wicked and sinful we are too. When we put our life up against His... (laughs) I mean there's a lot of people that you'll talk to that say uh, along with luke you know uh luke bryant not luke uh uh, gospel that we're good enough most people are good it's going to be okay we're going to all get into heaven right but if you look at the life of jesus you know that we're all in trouble because in order to get to that heavenly place according to the way i read scripture and to do it on your own you just have to be as good as jesus That's it. So, if you can be Jesus or better, you really, you're good. You're good. But if you take any time to look at Jesus at all, it lets us know that we're fallen, that we're sinful, that we're lacking. And that sin has caused an amazing kind of estrangement between us and God. And as much as He'd like to forgive and give us eternal life and abundant life, He cannot do that because then He would not be God. He would not be righteous. He would not be just. He would not be true to himself and his character and his nature, which is where all morality comes from, by the way. But Jesus, his son, came and lived a perfect life and did not owe death. And so, as it says in Ezekiel, the soul that sins must die. So he paid our debt. He gave his life a ransom for us. So now God could still be just And pardon us. Because the sin, our debt sin, had been paid by Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus did. This is the revelation He gave us. The distance that we have from God. The sinful position that we have that's destroying us. And now, He moves in with His life and His work. And gives us a means to be restored to the Heavenly Father. He dies on a cross for our sins. He rises again on the third day. And God says to us, this is the only way. There's not a plan B. And by simply receiving that in faith, repenting and turning from sin, self, and Satan, and following the Lord, we can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. It's just that simple. And that's the revelation that is ours in Christ Jesus. Okay, we got the righteousness of God, we've got the righteousness of Christ, and we've got the sinfulness of us. Now, those are going to collide in such a way here as, as we're going to look in Philippians the third and fourth, 3rd chapter, the 4th verse, so that we're going to be able to see ourselves differently than the person I've been talking about. You're still that dude, but you're not still that dude. You're completely changed and transformed. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And Paul talks about that, and it's then in this new position, that we're able to put on the breastplate of righteousness. So let's look at this. In Philippians 3, 4, are you with me so far? Got it all set up? Okay, well, hopefully if you're just now waking up, that uh, the diagram is still going to make sense to you in a minute, okay? But sometimes it's a little richer if you can get the backstory. you know? We'll see. Philippians 3, 4. If anyone else thinks that he has reason to put confidence in the flesh... Paul says, well, I got more. Yeah, he's he's got a boast there, doesn't he? He was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, regarded in the law as a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Legalistic righteousness, he was faultless. He had a righteousness that was what? His own self-righteousness. And he was touting it. He could say, this is what it lies. Could you even do that? I don't think so. Most people that I know, if you say, give me your credentials for righteousness. Give me your self-righteous credentials. Like Paul says here, legalistic righteousness. He was faultless. faultless. Give us your your basis for your righteousness. Give me a list. Most people are awash at the start, aren't they? But Paul had all of this understanding of the Jewish law and the old covenants. And he was banking on those in a kind of a way where he was locking into self-righteousness, legalistic righteousness that was nothing. He came up with a big zero is what he said. You know, I consider this and I think of Job in the Bible back in the Old Testament that uh, he's spoken of as a righteous man, at least compared to the others on the earth at that time. He was righteous. And I think, well, was there enough in Job? Well, you know, when God showed up, Job came up short, didn't he? And he's fallen on his knees in humility saying, you know, maybe I spoke a little quick. Should have thought about that a little more before I stood up and started touting to you, Lord, all the righteousness that was mine and how unfair this is that all this is happening to me. I've done this, 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 and this. And God shows up and all of a sudden Job goes, maybe not. And he's fallen on his face before the Lord with a whole different attitude. Humility, right? So Job didn't even have it. And yet there is this place, I think, where we respond to God in faith, We respond to God in love and we respond to God in Christ Jesus for us on this side of the cross. And there is this space, there is this place for us to do something that will actually count for eternity, that will count for eternal rewards. Let's go on. But whatever Paul says was profit to me, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake now I have lost all things. I consider all that stuff rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. All of that, he says, is garbage. Everything that I thought was righteousness, that I thought was a a good act or a work that was going to amount to anything in the kingdom of God. He says, it's just, it's rubbish. It's garbage. And he said, I consider it rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Now, look at this. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. This is an imparted righteousness. It's something that is given to us at conversion. Whenever you ask Jesus to come into your life, forgive your sin, to be your Lord and Savior, His righteousness then becomes yours. It is as if you're cloaked and clothed in His righteousness. He comes to dwell in you, to reside in you by the power of his spirit. And then when God looks down at you, this is what he sees. This forgiven individual standing in the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Now that blows my mind. But I have this righteousness that comes by faith, and it comes from God, and it is by faith, so that when God now looks at me, What he sees is what the work of Christ has done in my life and his righteousness covers my unrighteousness. Now, you're just going to have to ponder that a while. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because when he looks down, what he sees is Jesus. And we want more and more of that to come out. I want to know Christ, Paul says, in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. He's he's wanting the life of Christ. This is a kind of a broad scope picture, it seems to me, of the life of Christ. and He's wanting Christ's life to come out in his life. At least this is the way I read it. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And all of us who are mature should have this same view. And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Live up to what you have attained. Live up to what is imparted in you in the salvation of Christ Jesus. The righteousness that is there. It's there. It's it's a possibility. It's a reality that's ours. A breastplate that we can put on. It's already there. We're just trying to live up to what we have attained in salvation. Now, are you really confused? What in the world does that look like in practical living? Well we're going to get there.. The first thing I think of when I see this concept of standing here, and I understand this process of where God wants me to leave, there's the, live. there's this element of forgiveness and seeking to be holy as He is holy, that we all kind of need to grab onto. We want to be living in a perpetual kind of state of ongoing confession and repentance. Okay? I'm glad it's not my grandkids causing the problem. It's then in this process, sanctification process, really if you see it, that Christ lives his life through us. And we're able to live a life then that pleases God. The life of Christ really is the only life that is ever in totality pleased God. And it's the life of Christ that's lived in us and through us then that pleases God. Now, positionally, it's a place of standing in which Christ's life and work combined with our faith have accomplished uh, this place and possibility of this, this kind of life. Okay, so now you understood all of that. I'm going to draw you a picture. All right, Because this really didn't come alive to me until I came across this. And I don't know what preacher I got this from. It was back in my college days. I remember that. But I remember it impacted me so much that I never forgot it. And I used it through the years in discipleship training. And I don't know. If you've been here long enough and you haven't missed that Sunday, you've seen this before. If you're one of the kids that you've been trained here, you've seen this before. But all of that theological stuff that I just said, that probably your mind went, mm-hmm. is real simple. Real simple. Here it is. This is you. Okay? And inside of you, you have a old nature. <sighs> An old nature, sin nature, the Bible calls it flesh, it's there, right? And this is is how you came into the world. Thanks to Adam, you know, we all suffer for somebody else's sin. Well, we all get to suffer for Adam's, you know, Adam and Eve. And so here we are. This is how we come into the world. Now, can this thing do righteous acts? Yes, it can do righteous acts, but what's it doing the righteous acts out of? The old nature. And so what kind of acts are those? In reality, they are self-righteous acts. And that's all they are. It's a self kind of doing of something that at the very best is an op- is a, is, has an, a motivation to please God for some sort of manipulation. Heaven, whatever it might be. Uh, some blessing down here, whatever it might be. It's just within us the only capacity that we have. Okay, but when we ask Jesus Christ into our life, a couple of things happens. One is, we're forgiven of our sin, and and if you're going to destroy an enemy, one of the things you have to do is to take out his fort. And that's what what the cross did. Wouldn't you know, I would pick a marker that wrote that well. 12,000 markers back there, and I get one that doesn't write. Oh, and that one erases what I have written. That's even better. Last try. There we go. Got something we can see. The power of the cross totally destroys, totally destroys the ability of the old nature to rule in your life anymore. Now, some people think the old nature goes away. I don't, but I think the cross renders it powerless. And it only operates when you step out of the things of God and say yes again to the old nature. That's what I believe. You have a choice. But it is powerless to rule you anymore. And before you had no opportunity to offer, operate any way other than in self-righteousness. But now you have another opportunity. Not only do you destroy the enemy's fort, but you build your own. And think of some government leaders that could have used this in a, reason, a recent extraction from a country. Simple stuff, you know? Anyway, you have a new nature. You can cut that, Michael. <laughs> I forget sometimes that I'm talking to a world out there and think I'm just talking to us. You have a new nature. You have the Spirit of Christ that moves inside of you and lives in you. The Bible says that God's Spirit is not in you. You're not one of His. And so when you call upon the name of the Lord and ask Him to come into your life, He does. He makes His abode there. He resides in you by His Spirit. A new nature that lives inside of you. And so now I have a choice that I didn't have before. The only choice I had before was to clean up the old nature and do something out of it. Now I have an opportunity to respond as the spirit leads me in my life. Okay, let me add to this a little bit, okay? This is the redeemed person here. Where does Jesus fit all, into all this? Well, the spirit of God, sometimes referred to as the spirit of our Lord really living in us too, the three or one, right? And so you have this spirit living in, inside of you, okay? You have Jesus and his word and his life, right? Okay, so if you say yes to Jesus. So this spirit speaks here, looks here for direction to the word, the word of Jesus, the truth of God's word. Looks to that for direction, and then you say yes to Jesus. And why I say it this way is this you can slip back into a legalism if your yes doesn't come from this. Are you ready? This is important. This yes has to come from love and faith. We read it already in the text. Nobody loved the Lord. Nobody was seeking the Lord. Nobody was putting faith in the Lord. These are the things that were of the old nature. But now, because we have chosen Christ, we have chosen God, we have chosen his forgiveness, we have responded to his love, and we're going to love him and operate in faith toward him, we say yes to Jesus. Now, if that's not right, you're all messed up in your motive again. Are you tracking with me so far? Okay, so when we say yes to Jesus, and we've got this right, okay, then think about this for a minute. Then we are living, really, Jesus' life. So Jesus is living his life through us. And the world is now seeing, as it talks about in Scripture, Jesus Christ and what it would look like, him living his life all over again in Shalisha, in Preston. In Rick, in my flesh. Now, if you take that concept and read what Paul just said about sharing all this with Christ, his suffering, his fellowship, all of that, you see what Paul's talking about. The very life of Christ, he says, I'm just wanting Jesus to live through me again in the world. That's it. And it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Christ now lives in you this way. By his spirit, by your love, by your faith, by your obedience, he lives in you. And his righteousness becomes your righteousness as you live that out in the world. That's putting on the breastplate of righteousness. That's really pretty simple. But it looks pretty complicated, doesn't it? But boy, if you miss this little part here of love and faith, you can fall into Christian legalism. That's scary. But if you're responding to your Lord in love and you're responding to him in faith relationally, then your life begins to just live Jesus. It's harder to do sometimes than it should be because we still have that choice. So how is this measured? It's measured relationally. So how do I know know whether to do this thing or that thing? Real simple, it's like this. Does it hurt the heart of Jesus? You know, I know the words I can say to, to, to tick my wife off in a hurry. Right? We're in such a relationship that I know the things that I can do and can't do that are going to hurt that relationship. Isn't that true? Let's say I decide to have a affair tomorrow. That's not going to hurt my relationship with my wife, is it? is it well how did you know that because i know her are you tracking with me i mean forget the fact what the bible says forget forget the fact that it it, it, you can boil it down to simply that relationship so a kid asked me in a disciple meeting one time is it okay to go to r-rated movies my response is this does it hurt your relationship with god I've been to R-rated movies that I don't think hurt my relationship with God. I I saw the one that what's-his-face wrote The Passion, didn't you? Boy, that one left me in a whole different state of affairs. Does it hurt your relationship with God? You see, if you're walking in a love relationship, in a faith relationship with Jesus, you know immediately if you're doing something that's going to hurt that relationship. And you want to put on the breastplate of righteousness? It's real simple. Keep a short account with sin. Walk in love and faith with the Heavenly Father. Say yes to Jesus. And the righteousness of Christ will become your shield. Isn't that amazing? Now, that's my understanding of this passage of Scripture. In Romans 8 and 9 it says this, You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if, he is, if his Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. Isn't that cool? Through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have no obli—we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if we live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Isn't that cool? You're a son of God. Man, that's a long way from that. Depraved individual we were talking about at the beginning, isn't it? We're children of God. New definition. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And we cry, by him we cry, Abba, Father. This is how we approach God. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Wow. Whole new definition of who we are. I want to read you one last verse and then I'm done. Actually, it's a combination. I ran three verses together, but you'll think it's one. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by my sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be an off, a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law may be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. So we have to make this choice with our will. And do not let our hearts be troubled as it says in Matthew or John 14. But trust in God and trust in Christ. And in John 14, 27, it says the peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. There it is. Stand in your position in Christ. Choose to live according to His Spirit. Keep a short account with sin. Say yes to Jesus. No to the old nature and the old self. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Father, for the time together. Armoring up. Yes to Jesus. Falling in love more and more with Him. (coughs) Putting more and more faith in Him. Learning more and more of your truth. Seeing clear and clear who you are. Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. Living up to what we've attained, to what you've imparted in us. Let's do that a little better this week. For Jesus' sake. That his will could be done right here on earth in our lives as it is in heaven. Amen.